0: Good afternoon
1: and welcome. It's Tuesday and that means it's time for our crack strategy panel. And wow, is there a lot to talk about today. I think the Happy Gang's Neil Headley got it right when he likened the blockade situation to a game of whack-a-mole. One comes down and another pops up. We will drill down on that. And as you heard in Jeremy's news... A crucial decision by the Alberta Court of Appeal has deemed that the federal carbon tax is unconstitutional. It's the first court that has ruled this way. Jason Kenney called this a great victory. It comes after Tech announced its decision to pull its application for a large oil sands mining operation in northern Alberta that was slated to be a $20.6 billion project. And the CEO cited Canada's climate policy debate as the reason for the pull-out we want to hear from you. The numbers, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. Now I'd like to welcome John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner at Fleischmann-Hillard High Road, Karen Stintz, former City Councillor and current CEO of Variety Village, and Charles Byrd, Managing Principal of Ernst Strategy Group in Toronto. Welcome everybody, thanks for being here. Thank you.
2: Hey
3: there. Good afternoon.
1: Okay, let's start with the blockades. Is that situation anywhere near in hand? Let's start with John.
3: Uh, no, it's not. In fact, it's, it seems to be getting progressively worse in some cases. I think, and, and the, the comment about it being a whack-a-mole is quite fitting in some in some ways, because unfortunately, what you're seeing is the one one being taken down in, 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 in uh near Belleville there, uh, but now we've got one sort of that's sprung up in, in Hamilton uh, that is affecting the GO uh, rail. And GO station and the GO, bus, or the GO trains uh, from Hamilton to Niagara Falls, which is now hurting, you know, individual people, not only businesses, as we saw with respect to the CN rail uh, blockade, where a lot of businesses were being affected because of the the rail blockage. But now you're seeing trans, uh, passengers being affected. So it's an unfortunate situation. I'm not sure how it's going to get resolved. I think the Prime Minister, uh, in his comment, uh, you know, basically saying that he was frustrated with the talks, you know, fi- finding that nothing was getting done, it wasn't being successful, uh, and that he wanted to ensure that the injunctions were being upheld uh, and enforced, uh, and also demanding that the blockades be clear is one thing, but there was no plan and no specific plan from him as to how to do it, other than to say, well, it's up to the provinces now for them to be able to enforce it. Well,
1: yeah, and and the police. I mean, you know, he's not supposed to direct the police. Charles, did he do the right thing? And uh, do you think, I mean, I would have thought that the police would be prepared for this to happen.
2: Yeah, let's let's be clear. Law enforcement learned a lot from the lessons of Ipperwash and Oka and have taken... Uh, a markedly different approach to these types of situations than has been the case in the past. There's a lot of thought and sophistication that's gone into how the police um, approach uh, protests. Uh, camps such as the ones we've seen over recent days, but I mean, the fundamental truth is 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 a simple one, which is that the prime minister devoted as much effort and energy towards meaningful dialogue as he felt was sustainable. Um, devoted the better part of three weeks to doing just that, but obviously, the economic impacts are 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 very real. And um, it was appropriate for him to signal that the barricades must now come down. And I noticed that the Prime Minister was and the government were also successful in finding alternate rail uh, links to circumvent barricades in some cases in uh, disputed areas. And uh, so that's a positive. But the the reality, and I, I don't want to go on too long, but, you know, if I were to ask you folks or your listeners, you know, what is it that would take, cause you to take up arms against your government? Or what is it that would take you to barricade a rail line? Um, you know, we, we'd all be hard pressed to, to answer either of those questions. But the answer is pretty straightforward. The inability to feed your children, the seeing your rights consistently subjugated in favor of other interests. I mean, these are the kinds of things that drive people to the brink. And that's where a million Indigenous Canadians are right now.
4: Yeah. I'm going to disagree with Charles on that one, actually. Yeah. <laughs> because what we, uh, I think the Prime Minister in his speech on Friday, he actually delineated, he made a distinction between the Aboriginals who were protesting for what they believed to be the improper use of their land versus protesters that were protesting other matters, such as environmental matters, uh, Velcro protesters, protesters coming up from the U.S. So what we're seeing now is splinter groups protesting now in support of Mohawk groups that have been removed from the Belleville area in support of this group and supported of that group. And so now we have a situation where, like once again... No, we we're, there is no one to negotiate with that all of these groups that are now popping up have individual agendas. And I don't think it's as clear cut as Charles may like to believe. And that this group in Belleville, they actually are not in Belleville, pardon me, outside of Hamilton. They actually were served in an injunction, which they lit on fire. Yep. They did. So they're not, they're not negotiating that from my, from my naive perspective, that is not a negotiation that wants to take place. So the police know this and we can't from my perspective, allow two more weeks to try to figure out what to do, that I, I agree that you don't give a hard timeline because then the groups know that you're coming in and they'll be prepared for it. That being said, you should be clear with, this has got to happen by this point, otherwise this is the consequence if this doesn't happen, and we don't have two more weeks to wait and have more negotiations with groups that aren't interested in negotiating.
1: Well, yeah, some of those groups have said they aren't going anywhere unless everything stops. We don't know who all the protesters are, and it's complicated by the fact that the various indigenous groups disagree. Well, and yeah. you
3: also don't know who the leaders are within those groups, because there's also claims and stories that we've been seeing over the last 48 hours about those who are claiming to be sub-chiefs within the hereditary clan, who are in fact not really the, th- th- that <coughs> having that title. So you don't know even who to negotiate with, as, as Karen was saying, because it's such a, it's such a uh, um, hodgepodge of, of, of it, it, it different interest groups within the Aboriginal group who are supporting them. And then also you've got professional protesters who are coming coming in from the U.S., who are now, just for the sake of protesting, getting in there. So it is becoming a difficult situation to, to deal with. And I think the one thing that Charles is right about, uh, is that i think that uh, law enforcement for sure and governments both provincially and federally have learned from from previous uh, altercations with with respect to to uh, the indigenous community o- Oka and iprawash being the two most uh, most famous or infamous ones that that have happened and i think that you know what we saw with the opp was a clear warning to say look we are we are going to give you until this time we are not going to make any arrests you know there, there's even talk of, of the fact that no one's going to get charged please you know uh, leave the block or leave the protest um, and so you've got ample warning to be able to do that and what you saw the OPP do was what, quite measured uh, in some ways as best as they can although some people were, were hurt and there were some arrests being done but um, what's going to happen is that you've cleared that now you've got other interest groups in other areas who are going to say oh this is you know this is interesting I'm going to do this I'm going to burn a tire on the, on the railroad tracks now to cause some level of delay and it's just not going to end unless there's some sort of dialogue or some sort of enforcement that's going to happen.
1: Well, they they saw the federal government uh, do nothing for a very long time. Interesting, I heard that uh, Doug Ford took advice from Mike Harris on this, and that's why we haven't heard much that's forceful from him though I gather they want to toughen the the penalties for uh, you know doing any damage to infrastructure is that the right call Charles
2: well I think it's um, it's one call it certainly doesn't go to the root of the problem which is you know enforcement you know rule of law rule of law applies to people who are willing to obey laws because they feel there is a common interest in doing so and when you have segments of the population who feel feel that the rule of law essentially disadvantages them then you've got a real problem on your hands and enforcement does nothing i mean there may be some cathartic thrill from going in all guns blazing and clearing them out i mean peter mckay referred to the protesters as professional protesters and thugs which takes away from you know a lot of the very legitimate issues that these people are confronting so ultimately you know, it, do, it does became a, become a game of whack-a-mole because these issues are not going away. It's not like we can go in there, guns a-blazing, and the problem is solved. Ultimately, the only answer will be meaningful dialogue.
1: So uh, he mentioned Peter McKay, John. What, what do you say to that? Also, uh, has Andrew Shears, uh, what about the way he's been responding to this in a very forceful way?
3: Yeah, with respect to, to Peter McKay, um, and, I, and I support Peter McKay for uh, full disclosure, I support Peter's leadership, um, but I think that, you know, he obviously took the tweet down. It was obviously something that that he felt wasn't wasn't appropriate, uh, and has since I think made some really smart and uh, and uh, reasoned comments. John, just to correct you,
2: it wasn't a tweet; it was actually in a video that he said that.
3: Right, but I think that he has now made he's uh, he's actually now corrected himself and has made some some much more reasoned uh, arguments about that and, and how to deal with it. But I just think that you know, and also you mentioned about Mike Harris speaking to Doug Ford. I think it actually is a smart thing to be able to speak to a previous premier who went through it. Uh, and learn the good, the bad, and and the not so good from from that oh, experience. I wasn't criticizing yeah, no, no, so, but I yeah. think it's actually a smart thing to be able yeah. to do to say, you know, how was it handled, and and what, what lessons were learned from that from that experience. Um, so I think that was 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 actually quite smart of the premier to do. But I think just in general, this is an issue that I think has to be resolved. I think that the fact that they're finding other ways of transporting goods is is also smart. The fact that CN and CP are now working together in some way to uh, to try to get some level of goods uh, moving is, is, is smart um, I think the fact that we've seen a lot of 18 wheelers going down the 401 with goods I think there's other ways of being able to do it, but that's not that's just band-aid solutions to a problem that needs to be resolved by this federal government
4: okay, Well
1: so how long just it, well, how
4: long, what's going to happen Well that's it because I, I don't think that meaningful dialogue can occur while the blockades are up. I, I think that that's just a candid truth. So that if, if, if there really is an interest in dialogue, then there has to be a turning of the page by all parties to say, okay, well, listen, we want to address these issues. We want to address clean drinking water. We want to address Aboriginal governance. Those are all legitimate issues, but they don't get solved by taking over a railway. And at, at some point, Canadians will lose patience because they don't understand why these blockades are popping up now. I think Canadians to have point. lost
1: patience in my room.
2: I'm not even sure what that means. I mean, does that mean that, again, we go in all guns blazing and clear these folks out like they're not going to come back and the problem will be solved? No. I mean, that's just not reasonable. It's not realistic. I mean, dialogue can happen in any circumstance and often when circumstances are at their most dire is when you need meaningful dialogue and the federal government has given its level best to doing so over the last three weeks. The Prime Minister has been very clear about that. And the dialogue will continue. I mean, this government has put Indigenous rights at the forefront of its agenda, right up there with climate change, and has enacted a lot of meaningful measures that have bettered the lives of Indigenous Canadians. But folks, we have a long way to go. And if we think that clearing these folks out makes them magically disappear, and that they won't, there won't be further disruptions, we are insane.
4: <laughs> well, I, but again, like, what, you just let them uh, take over a railway while well, the but but the dialogue? But they're not. Who are you talking to? You're, you're talking, talking to people that are lighting injunctions on fire. I don't think they want to chat. Well, well, I'm so sure. I'm saying, that I would like as you know, as a Canadian who's injured.
2: That's one protester's in. But, but that's, what the protesters that's what we're talking about. That's who we're talking about. But there've been quite
4: a number. But but they've already said they don't. They don't pick up the phone. They don't. Our Prime Minister said, I've reached out my hand. Nobody's taking it. So from a Canadian perspective, if we're going to have the dialogue occur again... Everyone wants that dialogue to occur. I think we are so all violently does united. Does it
1: just go on till, till people... Uh, Until we all run out of drinking no water? Like, it doesn't propane, make any sense. No clean drinking water?
2: No, I think law enforcement will ensure that the lines are kept open, and but we will see disruptions as recently as this morning. I mean, go yeah. go service outside of Hamilton was disrupted. Yep. Um, and this this is not going away. So the we just have to keep trying. I mean, we have to keep... Engaging folks, notwithstanding the fact that these communities are very splintered, you often have band councils that are not legitimate because they've been chosen by 500 out of tens of thousands of band members. You have hereditary chiefs who have just as much, if not more, legitimacy in some cases. I mean, these are intractable problems which we have foisted on ourselves over decades, yeah, and but now we have to do something about it. There is no alternative.
3: I, I, I think part of the problem, and a large part of the problem was the fact that this has been, uh, has been left to go on for such a long time. Yeah, that's that's uh, exactly it. And yeah. there, was, there was a time when, when this was happening and becoming an issue when the Prime Minister was in Africa dealing with, uh, w- yeah. with all sorts of issues, when he should have been back. It was only when he had to go to Barbados when he realized, oh, I should probably go back and try to deal with this. But this should have been something that should have been dealt with day two, and mm-hmm. uh, not week two, uh, when, yeah. when things were getting worse, and then there was a sense of inactivity. So we shouldn't have it, tried talking.
2: It, we shouldn't have tried dialogue. Is that what you're saying? Law no, enforcement but, should have just gone straight in? Is that what you're saying, John? But the
3: Prime Minister should have actually said, you mm-hmm. know what, this is a problem. I'm actually going to fly back here, so, so forget about our security seat right now. I can have other people like Minister Champagne doing that on my behalf, but I'm going to fly back day two and actually show and make that statement that he made on Friday on day two of the issue and The said, Prime Minister not being back. back
2: in Canada is hardly the issue. I mean, it's by though. half and it just goes to... A na- I mean, one of the best things Justin Trudeau go- has going for him is how much can conservatives hate them because it just it just skews all their perspectives with regards to the major issues facing Canadians. But Charles,
3: he didn't, he but, didn't but, address but, the issue for a full for whole For a week.
4: whole week and a half. Yeah. And it's not like there's dialogue happening. There is no dialogue His happening. And it's not engaged, by the
3: fault oh. of this minister. Just like
2: any government ministers are charged to engage within okay, their own let's, portfolios.
4: <laughs> let's call a truce. I want to take
1: a call from Brooke in Toronto. Hi, Brooke.
2: Yes, hi, Libby. How are you doing today?
1: Fine. Go thanks ahead. Thanks for taking
2: my call. Um, I just wanted to call uh, about carbon trading and really just sort of state the truth about it because carbon trading is not helping pollution.
0: Carbon trading is allowing polluters to still pollute. They're just charging them for them. Okay. And you so, know what?
1: You know what, Brooke? We haven't gotten to the carbon <laughs> trading story yet. We are about to. So it's a good thanks, way to change the topic. Thanks, though. <laughs> thank you. Well, it is because I wanted to change the topic. So, so, Brooke, I thank you for. That. That, but uh, I think we'll set up the topic here because uh, it's a it's a okay. little uh, abrupt. Thanks for your call. Nope. Okay. Okay. Uh, so let's talk about it. So yesterday, Alberta Court of Appeal uh, ruling that carbon tax is unconstitutional,
4: and uh, it's the first court to make that ruling. Yeah, I, I think it was. Um, and again, I don't. I haven't read the. I haven't read the decision, but I I think it was, again, an issue of um, who can tax? Can the federal government mandate that a provincial government impose a tax? And uh, I think that the panel came to the conclusion that no. So it wasn't that the carbon tax necessarily is unconstitutional. It was the fact that the government was requiring a province to impose a tax that was deemed unconstitutional by the Alberta courts. And so then the decision is timely because the whole issue is in front of the Supreme Court of Canada. And um, however it gets resolved, I, I, I still think doesn't take away from the fact that we don't have a cohesive environment policy, which is still the issue that the country needs to grapple with. Because um, it's hard to make strategic investments and in environmental solutions when you don't know where the, the, the incentives are or if, if it's going to change with the next election. So I, I think that businesses are legitimately saying, listen, you, we need to sort this out.
1: Yeah, and, and
4: governments are legitimately saying, well, we disagree with how it's going to be sorted out. And so it's a bit of a – it's an exciting time.
1: Oh, well, okay. And and Charles, so we had this ruling by Alberta, but there have been opposite rulings mm-hmm. by Saskatchewan mm-hmm. and Ontario. So how significant is it?
2: Um, I think it goes to a number of larger issues um, that are quite specific to the relationship between the government of Alberta and the government of Canada. Um, Jason Kenney, when he was campaigning to become Premier of Alberta, did so on a, a stated policy of opposing the imposition of a carbon tax. And that has left the provincial government very, very little roo- wiggle room. And it goes straight to the heart of another huge issue, which is the tech mining. And the loss of a multibillion-dollar potential investment, or apparent loss of a multibillion-dollar apparent investment, in um, the Alberta economy. And part of the issue is that it, I, I think it's, it's reasonably well understood, if not talked about, that Alberta officials and federal officials were talking a lot about how carbon intensive the emissions coming from this project would be, and how it could be made to fit within the framework of a a deal between Alberta and Canada to allow the project to go forward and still have Alberta meet its emission reduction targets. And I I would not be surprised if those discussions are still going on, because a potential investment of that magnitude is, uh, those don't come around very often. And I think it's, it's it's entirely possible that this thing is not yet dead, and that tech has in fact strategically withdrawn its application so as not to force the issue to give the governments more time to come to a conclusion. But if they are going to have that investment, it's almost certain that Alberta Premier Jason Kenney will have to give on the carbon tax. But it may be that the Supreme Court gets him off the hook and says, this is perfectly illegal for the federal government to do, and therefore you have no option.
3: Well, there's a few things to unpack there. Um, yeah. first off, I think, with respect to the to the ruling, um it does add uh, more. A debate on this whole issue with respect to cap uh, uh, taxing because of the fact that you've got two other jurisdictions that have said no, and now you've got Alberta, unsurprisingly, I guess, that, who have said mm-hmm. that's actually uh, it's actually unlawful to uh, to do that. So you've got some issues here that I think are going to be resolved at the Supreme Court without yep. a, without a doubt, and I think it's it's going to get there at some point. But it does add for a, a much greater debate with respect to, uh, and uh, actually, quite frankly, uncertainty now because whereas yeah. w- without that ruling, I think people were just generally seeing, okay, well, I guess. the the federal government can tax it and, and can do what they want to do with this now there's a bit of a pause on this and I think that's an interesting one but with the tech uh, mining issue I think there's a sense I'm not sure it's coming back I think that once they make the decision because now they've now they've got they're stock issues it down. they're, well, they're writing, writing it down, yeah, it down. Yeah, they've got stock issues now they have to deal with there's no way they're going to say oh you know what maybe I'll come back to it and I think it's actually a huge huge loss to not only Canada but certainly to Alberta and I think the federal government has to take some blame here with respect to the fact that there was an indecision on this issue and they were waiting for the last possible minute and to make a decision differing. on this when in fact the government and the Prime Minister had this on his desk for the last seven eight months when the decisions could have been made that would have helped tech it would have helped because Alberta.
1: My understanding is that that. What bugs them the most is that there's no clear roadmap. What can you do? What can't mm-hmm. you do? And it's the uncertainty. And who can blame them? Businesses well,
4: like yeah. certainty. There's no question. And seeing what's happened uh, to, to this uh, the natural gas pipeline is just probably... Because even if they got approval at the federal level, there were still other environmental hurdles to clear. Uh, and so it just became an unattractive business proposition given the price of oil is down given that some of the inputs are unclear given that the the timeline is completely uncertain from a business perspective this investment does not make sense yeah
1: well that's what some people are saying charles that that yeah they pulled out and they use this as an excuse mm-hmm. but in fact that project wouldn't have be, uh, been been built because the price of oil doesn't make it economic
2: that's that's right but remember you're talking about a fairly lengthy time frame for this project and you know projections around international demand for energy generally, and oil and gas in particular, will continue to rise, including in Asia, and that will continue well through to the middle of this century. But, you know, fundamentally, one of the things that is causing the uncertainty is the inherent tensions that exist within, this, within Canada. They have for a long time between individual provinces, in indigenous protest um, whether it's major investments that are carbon intensive, I mean, there seems to be a degree of intractability in the way political leaders are approaching these issues. And it I, I'd say very that, polarized, I, I like would a lot that, of other
1: places on the planet.
2: And when you have premiers like Scott Moe and Jason Kenney, whose first inclination is always to cite grievance and blame the prime minister, which I realize is a very popular game, then you lessen the chance for you know any form of reconciliation.
3: I think though, governments have to have direction and have to have some fortitude to be able to say, "Here's what my vision is. Here's how it's going to be. How it's going to be put forward, and here's what I'm going to do to make sure that it happens." And I think that on this issue, especially when it comes to to pipelines and energy, this government has had a huge conflict from the very beginning. They wanted to be the environmentalist government. They wanted to be the government that looked after the the climate change and all those kind of issues, yet still they understood that there were some huge problems with respect to pipelines. So the fact that this government has had no particular strength or direction on that issue has caused most of the problems we saw that with TMX, with respect to the last minute, the government had to come in and buy the buy the uh, uh, buy the uh, the um, the, uh, the project in order to save it. And now you saw this with Tech waiting to the very last minute when the government. This is a savior for the government. The fact that Tech actually had to come back and say no, we're not we're not going to pursue this was they didn't a have to make huge a win for them in a sense yeah. that they did not have to make a decision. It was a loss because of the fact that it's going to cause Alberta some problems. But this is the problem. There's no no strong direction this government has had on this issue from the beginning.
2: There was a lot of very well, well, uh, direct dialogue between the government of Canada and the government of Alberta as to how to make this project work. If people are smart, they will be continuing those discussions.
4: Right. And just as an epilogue, I, I'm, I'm actually a little bit sympathetic to the Liberal government on this environmental file because what they had said to the provinces, my perspective is, listen, this is what we want to achieve. We recognize each province is slightly different, so you help us figure this out and here's the end game. But again, that, that strategy was required every province to want to play ball and then once that doesn't happen then the federal government does have to take a more strategic hard line about how this is going to get done because their original play didn't work out for them so now they are they have a new they have to play a different hand okay i want to get one more topic in
1: before we break and that is the outside workers at the city of toronto karen uh are they going out on strike and who is going out on
4: strike Oh, yeah. So if the outside workers uh, choose to strike, it's going to f- definitely impact garbage. It impacts. Um, it it could delay snow clearing, but there is a lot of snow clearing that is uh, contracted out just in out. time for the next snowstorm. Just yeah. in time tonight. for the <laughs> next snowstorm tonight. Uh, so I mean, again, the parks aren't really going to be uh, th- just the garbage in the parks is going to be the issue. The skating rinks are going to be the issue because the outdoor skating rinks won't be o- operational. So any rec program that's outside will be impacted. Um, I I don't. Like Charles said, I mean, I don't, I don't bet for a living, but I don't think they're going to, to go on strike. That would be my prediction. That, oh, I was going to ask you that. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't think they will. I think that they will find a solution. I don't think they'll go on strike. Uh, that that whole uh, labor dispute just
1: seems to be a lot more lower key mm-hmm. uh, and um, collegial than some of the other ones, like. The teacher. So, uh, do you guys yeah. agree
3: with her? Well, I would. And I would. I was. I'd bet on, on with Karen all the time when it comes to City Toronto issues, <laughs> as, a, as an amazing former councillor uh, who's been through these issues uh, a number of times when she was there. But I do think it actually behooves both sides, the unions and the city, for the fact that they've been making this low key and they've been trying to deal with it not in the media, but actually at the bargaining table, which is where it should where it should be done. I think some of the problems with that we've seen in labor unrests in the past have been the fact that when you start negotiating in the media you start setting up expectations and then no, one side can't can't you know back down from the other side because it's in the media side and public opinion always plays a huge role when it comes to labor unrests
1: and especially mm-hmm. on the garbage file Charles do you agree
2: um, it's funny because I don't think you can look at any particular action or potential strike in isolation I mean there, there is a general view I think developing on the part of of uh, Torontonians, Ontarians, Canadians, that, that we've got real labour issues and that something is wrong and it goes to a lot of fundamental issues around you know the the gap between the well-off and the not-so-well-off and whether people can actually meaningfully get ahead by working hard, you know, the Canadian dream or the American dream, however you want to pronounce it. So the the, the more you see this kind of strife, I think the more it feeds into the relative unease of people that something's
3: wrong here. Hmm. Interesting. But the, the thing about city strikes, though, as you well know, Libya and your, your, your listeners would as well, it has a profound effect on, yeah. on citizens. It is the yeah. one level of government uh, when, you know, not to say that obviously education strikes and teacher strikes have an effect as well, for sure, but this actually hits, you know, uh, seniors as well because of snow removals yeah. and, and recreation and garbage strikes especially. It does have a profound effect on and, citizens.
4: And I think, by and large, uh, the public is much less sympathetic to city strikes than they are to a teacher strike. And particularly when the terms job for life are thrown out and pension and sick days, I I don't think that um, it it has the same kind of public opinion sway that a teacher strike
2: you make those sound like bad things. <laughs> because
1: There's Charles, things
4: Charles, that Charles knows he's, he's got it. His
2: labor got, movement has yeah, fought uh, for decades. But
4: they're not shared by geez. the people we, who pay taxes. Before we wrap,
1: I was going to ask if I get brownie points for not making you talk about teachers
3: today. <laughs> <laughs> his relatives would be very upset if Charles didn't announce his. Uh, I got myself
2: in some trouble last, last week, so I. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, oh, no. I just, it, was okay, sal- well, it was a
3: salary issue, wasn't it, Charles? That's not what
2: you said. That's exactly
3: what you <laughs> said.
1: <laughs> we don't want that to happen again, and we are out of. Time so thank you so much, John Capobianco Bianco, Karen Stinson, Charles Bird. See you next week. Great, thanks,
0: thanks. Right. bye-bye. Thanks. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio.